Hello and welcome to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialist of America. We are an intersectional activist organization working to build a society and an economy run by the working class, a society that democratically meets the needs of the many rather than creating profits for the few. Our members come from a diverse set of backgrounds, but we all share one goal, to build a different world, a better world. Sometimes, building a better world requires challenging the ideas, assumptions, and institutions of the old. In this podcast, we will examine local and regional politics through a socialist lens and connect them to larger struggles happening across the world today. We will also attempt to put these struggles into context as we highlight how we have inherited the fight from previous generations of organizers here in the so-called conservative South. We look forward to sharing our stories and struggles with you and highlighting some of the great organizers in this part of the country. We're also excited to hear what experiences you, dear listener, might have to share with us. Together, we might ruffle a few feathers along the way, but that's all right, because here in the South and beyond, we need each other. Here's to the radicals, to the fighters and the renegades. Thanks everyone for joining us today here on Renegade Paradise. My name is Alfred and I will be your host for tonight's episode. For our debut episode, we're going to be sharing a bird's eye view of our ideas with progressives in the audience who may be listening and who maybe flirt with leftist and socialist politics, but who aren't quite there yet. (laughs) Maybe you support some of the ideas behind the Green New Deal or think that the Affordable Care Act should be expanded. Maybe you find yourself with some questions about classic leftist literature but don't even know where to start. Maybe you've had discussions with some friends who've recently joined DSA, but still have a few questions as to exactly what it is that socialists believe. If this sounds familiar, then you've come to the right place. Today, we're going to approach explaining this dichotomy of capitalism and socialism the way that we wish it had been explained to us when we were progressive liberals. Often, when talking to folks about socialism, we find that they bring a lot of pre-existing ideas about both capitalism and socialism to the table. And we first have to deal with these preconceptions before we can start talking about what we as socialists actually believe. So to that end, we're going to begin with a discussion about how capitalism and socialism show up in popular political discourse, how they show up in our mainstream media, how they show up when politicians use these words. Then we will problematize these popular notions and begin to talk about what Charleston DSA means by socialism. So first, let's tackle the popular discourse. There's a strong tendency to rely on describing capitalism in terms of free markets, competition, lack of government intervention, people entering into voluntary contractual obligations, pricing mechanisms, invisible hands, and so on. If you were to pick up a text like Milton Friedman's Capitalism and Freedom, one of the central texts laying out the Reaganomic neoliberal approach to capitalism we all currently live under, this is the conception of capitalism that you'll find. Writers like Friedman describe capitalism as the natural way that societies organize themselves as government power decreases over time. It's as if capitalism was always there beneath the surface, waiting for state power to just wane. Friedman then contrasts capitalism, understood in this way, with socialism by presenting an extremely simplistic, inaccurate portrayal of socialism as some omnipresent, faceless state 
taking over markets and wielding absolute control over goods and services with little or no democratic oversight. The problem with these popular notions is that they aren't true. It fails to accurately describe both capitalism and socialism and opens the door for us to draw any number of conclusions that are based on these misrepresentations. When we come back, we'll offer our understanding of these terms and try to draw some alternative conclusions from them. I'm Alfred, and this is Renegade Paradise. Welcome back to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialist of America. I'm Alfred. Thanks for joining us. Before the break, we discussed the overly simplistic and inaccurate way in which both capitalism and socialism are discussed in popular media spaces. So where does this popular discourse go wrong? Well, it is true that socialism is best understood both theoretically and historically when it is contrasted with capitalism. So let's begin here. When having a discussion about capitalism, it is absolutely critical to consider the concepts of private ownership of the means of production and the flow of capital. When we say means of production, we're referring to all the things that we need to produce various goods and services that will eventually go to market. Some examples might be usable land, buildings, machines and tools, raw materials, finance, etc. Within a capitalist economy, the vast majority of the means of production are privately owned by a tiny minority of people called capitalists. The individuals that make up this group can change over time, but nonetheless, they still remain a small sliver of people within a society. As a result of this private ownership, capitalists create a closed-loop system continuously extracting goods and therefore wealth that they did not produce. The rest of us do not have access to these means of production. We do not own vast acres of arable land, valuable real estate, technologically advanced factories, or fleets of heavy vehicles. The only way the rest of us can make money is through our labor. So those of us who make money through our labor go into these spaces that are owned by capital and use the privately owned means of production to do all the work and create all the various goods and services that will go to market. However, we don't get to keep the fruits of our labor. These same goods and services will inevitably go to market instead of being free to use as the workers see fit. In return for doing all the work and producing all the goods and services that the capitalists make a profit from, workers are paid a wage which is by necessity less than the value of what they created. This is what socialists mean by the exploitation of the working class, and why you'll find writers like Marx using vampire metaphors and the like. To add insult to injury, workers then have to turn around and spend that wage to buy back a portion of the goods and services they created with their own labor. This flow from investment in the means of production to the exploitation of labor to earning a profit is what we mean by the flow of capital. This concentration of wealth and resources at the top, exploitation of workers by paying them as little as possible, and the use of state violence to maintain the previous two conditions, more on that in a bit, are some of the main hallmarks of capitalist societies. So, what is the counterpoint to this rigid hierarchical nature of capitalism? The answer is socialism. 
The key difference between capitalism and socialism lies in the simple question, who controls the means of production? Under capitalism, the means of production are owned by private capital shareholders, who exploit labor to turn a profit for themselves. But in a socialist economy, the means of production are democratically controlled by workers. There are no capital shares allowing unproductive owners to earn profits off the backs of labor. The workers control the workspaces themselves, usually in conjunction with people living in the same communities as these workers. When the workplace is run by the people who actually are responsible for the day-to-day -day operations of said workplace, and those same folks work hand-in-hand -hand with the community, all parties are represented in the meeting room, and all parties benefit from the goods and services produced. This is in direct opposition to a top-down capitalist dictatorship, in which the workers are exploited in the name of profit, and accountability from the community is either minimal or non-existent. When viewed in this context, it is easy to understand why socialists are fond of the phrase, socialism is democracy. We believe not just in direct political democracy, as opposed to representative bourgeois democracy, but we believe in direct democratic control over the means of production. Socialists generally do not believe in some all-powerful, unaccountable, centralized government control over markets. In fact, you'll find the long-term goal of socialism is quite the opposite, a society that exists without the needs of a class or a state. Socialists believe that worker and communal control over the means of production is a means to that end. We believe that ordinary working class people can manage their own affairs and their own communities without the need for either capital shareholders or the state. So there you have it, a broad bird's eye view of socialism and how it contrasts with capitalism. In future episodes, we'll tackle some specific questions about differing interpretations of socialism, some criticisms of socialism, what's the relationship between socialism and anarchism, look at some historical socialist figures, and most importantly, socialist organizing and labor struggles here in the South. So make sure to keep listening to us. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we will revisit this common misconception that capitalism is the natural way humans organize themselves. We will also append a few caveats and promissory notes to today's analysis. I'm Alfred, and this is Renegade Paradise. Welcome back to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast for the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialist of America. I'm Alfred. Thanks for joining us. Before the break, we made some comparisons between capitalism and socialism and made some clarifications on what socialism actually is instead of what capitalists portray it to be. As we begin the final section of today's episode, we want to revisit this common misconception that capitalism is somehow natural and the default way in which human beings organize their societies. We will also add some last-minute caveats and briefly touch on some upcoming episode topics. Remember, if you like what you've heard so far, you can find Renegade Paradise on iTunes, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. So let's dive right in. Now that we understand capitalism as the private ownership of the means of production, and understand the flow of capital from the bottom up, it doesn't really make much sense to suggest that people naturally organize themselves into these economic relations. There is nothing rational about allowing the wealthiest minority of people to control a vast majority of the resources on the planet. 
and if we were creating a society in a vacuum, under no circumstances would we give all of the productive materials to a tiny sliver of the population and resign the rest of us to working for wages. When we look at the history of capitalism, from its roots in agrarian England right up to today, we find a common element that allows capital to hoard wealth while forcing the 99% into servitude and dependence. This common element consistently intervenes on behalf of a small but elite fraction of the population, protecting them from being utterly swept away from power and made completely irrelevant by an empowered working class managing their own offices, running their own factories, farming their own land, and building their own neighborhoods. This common element is state violence. Let us demonstrate this with an example familiar to Charleston residents, the food and beverage industry the city depends on. Let's imagine workers in a restaurant on the peninsula realized that they do all the work. They cook everything, serve everything, clean everything. They handle the inventory and delegate the duties. They compose schedules and menus, etc. In short, they realize that not only are they responsible for generating profits, but that they can do this without ownership. So let's say they decide to cut capital out of the equation. They open up their own bank accounts and contracts with credit card processors, form their own relationships with vendors, democratically decide on a management structure and who, if anyone, should fill this role. And they make management recallable by the workers and so on. What recourse does capital have in this scenario? They can't just show up and fire the workers because the workers can just say, there's more of us than there are of you, so you're fucking fired. This is our restaurant now. What will capital do? They'll use the state. The court system will be used to invalidate the contracts and accounts the workers set up, and the police, or even perhaps the National Guard, will show up and use whatever violence it needs to reestablish capital's control. Far from capitalism being the natural state of man without state interference, capitalism is, and always has been, state tyranny. Before we go, there are a few caveats we'd like to address today, and hopefully touch back on in later episodes. We'd like to think of this podcast as an ongoing conversation with our listeners, our guests, and fellow socialists. So here we go. Capitalism centers around keeping the means of production in the hands of capital, but there are other problematic issues that must be addressed to get a better understanding of how capitalism divides and exploits workers. A wide array of structures, institutions, and phenomena have grown up to support capitalist control throughout history, many of which have now taken on lives of their own. We can point to white supremacy's role in dividing the working class. We could mention the patriarchal norms forcing unpaid child-rearing and raising obligations onto women as a means of reproducing stock of exploitable labor. War and imperialism have long been dependable ways to open up new capital markets and offer a means to profit from warfare itself. We could talk about cyclical fashion trends and forced obsolescence as ways that capital can continue to grow within a finite planet. We could talk about how capital uses its hoarded wealth to undermine democracy, not only here in the United States, but across the world. And we could point to a global border system that applies only to workers and not to capital, which creates racialized underclasses treated as criminals with no labor rights. We will be looking at a number of these aspects of capitalist society in future episodes. For now, the takeaway is as follows. 
Socialism is not about all-powerful government control, but rather a fully realized direct participatory democracy, both in the workplace and in political life. Capitalism is not freedom from government tyranny. Instead, it is merely the tyranny of the wealthy. Thanks again for joining us today here on Renegade Paradise. Remember, if you liked what you heard today, we've got more episodes coming and they'll be available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. I'm Alfred. Y'all be good. Yeah.